That's an eight. An eight. All right. The topic we'll be discussing today, the design challenge we'll be taking upon ourselves is to design a scenario in which you use an actual performance, such as singing, reading a short story, etc., to propel the story forward. This design challenge was added to our table by a previous guest, Nate B. Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And this week, we are joined by our special guest, Albin. Albin, say hi. Hi. Hey. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, so you had reached out to us, actually, about you started listening to the podcast. And you're like, oh, you know, I think it'd be really fun to come on, um, which is great. So that's maybe a shout out to everybody else who's listening. Like, if you really want to be on the podcast, like, we're, we're pretty easy, <laughs> easy to let you on. <laughs> but, yeah. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and, like, what your history with gaming is? I started all gaming, essentially, when I was, like, eight or nine years old in the early 90s with Warhammer. So it, I started, it came definitely from the miniature side. And then just collected, collected, collected. I have piles of painted or unpainted minis in my hands, basement. <laughs> yeah. uh, wish I bought stocks instead, but, you know, yeah, that's right. hindsight. Uh, <laughs> when it was like 2005 or so, I went to uni. And that's when I got into pen and paper RPGs. So I'd been kind of warmed up to it by playing Borders Gate and other RPGs on PC, mm, yeah. kind of as a teen. But really kind of got into first 3.5 and then a wealth of other games kind of over the years. So it's been... Not quite 20 years. Wow, that's wow. great. I have a quick question. What is? Do you have a favorite miniature? I'm really happy with some of the paint jobs I did on uh, some of my Dark Elves. Uh, I had an assassin and the bolt thrower captain. Okay. Kind of odd choices. I have some pretty nice old Chaos Champions that were in the mainstay of my old army, but the paint jobs on them is just terrible. <laughs> Even when I was like 10 years old. Yeah. They should never see the light of get light of day again. Did you did you play like did you do like tournament play and stuff, or are you just mostly playing with your friends? Uh, I played in the local games workshop. Okay. So as a kid in the UK, it was really convenient. I was like fifteen minutes walk away, so I had my little suitcase full of foam, and I just had my armies packed in. I would just walk up there, yeah, and then you kind of just got matched up. That's super great. Yeah, so um, so Andy and I are both in Michigan in the United States. Um, so uh, there are like there's a games workshop within a couple miles of me, something like that. But my understanding is like over where you're at, like they're sort of everywhere. Is that accurate? I'd say in the UK they're everywhere. Okay. Even like small towns would have one. The rest of Europe, only major towns would have one. So here in Germany, where I live, there is one. Yeah, but that's I'd say that's more the exception than the rule. So you mentioned uh, a wealth of other games. And in my interaction with you just over email, you mentioned that you're currently running or you're planning to run an Ars Magica game. Is that the game? Absolutely. Is that a game you've run, played a lot of in the past or is this new for you? um, No, I've played it a few times. So I discovered it around 2010 or so. Like when I was finishing uni, we started a campaign and we had one sessions before the GM kind of quit. (laughs) Not inspired. So... Ars Magica is really front-loaded. I love the game, but it's really front-loading. Like creating your character, but it's just another level compared to making, say, a D&D character. Hmm. You're all playing mages, and the magic system is much more complicated, and the skill system is much more detailed. So you're looking at four hours, maybe, for your first character. Uh Mm. (laughs) Does it speed up 
after it, it, if you make your yeah. second characters your second character only take two hours yeah it, it gets much faster <laughs> okay. once you know what you're doing it goes a lot faster so yeah. we did a game with my gaming group so we started 2019 i think hmm. and we ran for almost two years wow. saga where we were a bunch of european magicians in the 13th century who moved to the baltic region we first joined with estonian pirates where we were just raiding uh, the Teutonic Order, the Swedes, <laughs> whoever we could get our hands on. And that was a really cool campaign, but it came to an end because it, the power level just kind of skyrockets and gets yeah. to a point where to get a reasonable threat every year, every in-game year just stops making sense. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And the game ended, and about a year later, I decided to start my own campaign. So I just went for the very basic, so the Rhine Gorge is kind of the default setting. Conveniently, I live in the region. Mm. And what really pushed me uh, over the fence was just paddling down the Rhine. Oh. It's just such fantastic scenery. You can you can see the wine being grown on one side, the big cliffs, the forests, the ruined castles. So it's really inspiring. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Did you, have you done any like LARPing? I haven't. Some of my friends have, but I just never got the bother. I don't like camping. It's yeah. a big thing. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's a big part of it, yeah. No. Yeah. I am fascinated by Ars Magica. I've got a copy of it and a couple of source books on my gaming bookshelf, but I've never gathered the courage to run a game myself. I'm intimidated by its placement in a specific time and place in history. And I just feel like I don't know enough about uh, European history at the time to run it well. And you're in Europe, so you're a, you're one step closer to the uh to the setting but was it intimidating to you to run a historical game or not so much for me that was the appeal mm. i love history okay. so being in the region like with my wife we'd go on walks like in the countryside and i would just get scenario ideas just from walking it's like <laughs> this valley is oddly mossy even on the southern side like yeah oh. it's really wet and it's kind of weird. Why is there so much moss? Well, obviously, it's a local dryad that's angry uh, at the local noble. Obviously, And yeah. it's punishing things. So, yeah. And that's how I got one of the scenarios. So being in it, like seeing the castles, I can, I can just walk to town and see the big cathedral. Mm-hmm. It just made it that much easier. Hmm. So for me, that was a drive practically to the game. Oh, that's fantastic. Mechanically and preparing, it was tough. I find one thing that's kind of lacking is kind of a good on-ramp. Mm. Like... A lot of the people in the community have been in the community for 20 plus years yeah. and they know the game in and out. First time GMing for it was tricky. So I did first did a couple of one-offs, one of them for my old group to kind of get a feeling for it. And I got a lot of support from the previous game master kind of running ideas by him. Hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. Chris, have you ever been inspired to run a scenario or a game by traveling or hiking through an area? No, but I'll sometimes take inspiration for like describing places, I think based on, you know, particular paths and stuff that I, that I walk. Um, yeah. I used to play this little like storytelling game with my daughter. We'd sort of like tell the story of the walk around the block every time. So there's like this old tree in someone's yard that has this hole in it that we call like the, the old owl tree, you know, like stuff like that. Like kind of just making up stories as we're going along. I really like that. I mean, again, Michigan doesn't have a, I mean, it has history, but it doesn't have, um, I guess I would say like as dramatic of a history as you're walking around, you know, looking at stuff. Um, yeah. Like most of the buildings and things that I see are uh, related to the university of Michigan <laughs> nearby. <laughs> you know, so they, they were, they were built in the sixties, but the 1960s. <laughs> This summer, I spent some time in parts of the U.S. that we associate with the Wild West, and it was uh, pretty hard not to just... My brain was going 
uh, pretty fast, like thinking up mm-hmm. Wild West scenarios and, oh, maybe when I get back home, I should start up a cowboy game of some yes. sort. I haven't, I haven't done that yet, but there is something, something about actually being in the physical place uh, that your game is set that is, um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's something you can't really enjoy with like a straight fantasy game like Dungeons and Dragons. So mm-hmm. I'm glad we have other games that um, are connected to more real places yeah john john cory who's been on the podcast before and does splatbook has mentioned gm brain that's sort of his thing like once you start gming you just like you can't lead a normal existence anymore (laughs) you're constantly (laughs) going around you're like oh well that would be a fun place you know like yeah i set a scenario yeah like oh my goodness yeah there's moss over there like how could that be right you know so you start thinking about everything in those terms yeah and probably become a little bit insufferable to the people around you but it does make for better games (laughs) at the table now the other thing is also in a fantasy game, you have to come as a GM from scratch with everything, yeah. more or less. Here, I can just pick up, like, history, Wikipedia is full of information. And especially checking the German wiki and the English wiki, I can find out, like, who's the noble in the period? What did he do? <laughs> Who was accused of being a, of witchcraft? And all these things. And these are scenarios that just roll by themselves. Like, yeah. You just have the history book, the chronology. There was a famous witch hunter in exactly the period of the 1220s, 1230s in the region. And he just started in the background just as a rumor. And I could just go blow by blow. Oh, yeah, he had these people burned alive in, you know, the city of Wetzlar. Yeah. And they kind of process in the campaign. And then he shows up and he's interrupted the magic harvest of the party. And that's it. We have a villain. Oh, my God. That's simple. (laughs) Yeah, you had to almost you had to do almost no work. Like that scenario just writes itself, doesn't it? Exactly. (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, I'm going to have to convince my wife to let us move to uh, Europe for a year or two. So specifically (laughs) so I can prepare to run an Ars Magic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's going to go for that. Yes. Yeah. So, guys, should we turn to the uh, the heart of our episode, which is taking on our design challenge? Let me refresh your memories and the memories of our beloved listeners. We've been challenged today to come up with an adventure idea based around an actual performance to propel the story or the scenario forward. Have either of you guys used a performance as integral part of a RPG adventure? I'm trying to re- remember if I have. I don't think I have. The closest I've come to it is having, well, I'll, I'll make two statements. I think the, the first one is like, the closest I've come is, is uh, having like a carnival, like a very specific setup of like, here, you can come come and participate in this activity, this pre-planned mm-hmm. activity um, that's a little bit outside the norm. That's a little bit of a stretch. The other thing that like immediately jumped to mind thinking about this is like block text in adventures, block text. And then also, especially like in like D&D modules, there's often like, Kind of a longer block text, block text, or you know, a couple pages of just like here's the backstory of what's going on, like those sorts of things. I find are really hard for me to hard, but also fun to sort of deliver at the table. It's like, look, you need to listen to me talk for a page, right? <laughs> like I need to, I need to get out all this information. It's got to be somewhat dramatic. I also got to make it not feel like I'm just reading something off of a page too, because it's got to feel a little bit more natural, right? So that's sort of where my mind went immediately, and I know my experiences with that with making that come alive at the table have made me hesitant to say, write a short story and try to deliver that <laughs> to everybody. I once did a mini tower reading for a dog heresy game. Oh, nice. Because in 40K, there's the Imperial Tarot, which is kind of from the very first story. It's kind of built oh. into the system, yeah. kind of into the law. I stacked the deck. I knew which cards I wanted to be on yes, top, yeah. so I kind of fudged <laughs> it, faked shuffling, etc., and then magically, poof, the three cards that I wanted to be on top. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully the players didn't see it. If they did, they didn't say it. Yeah. And then based on that, kind of each of the characters, kind of based on like a few sessions of play, I'd figure out what the kind of 
tarot archetype mm. corresponded who were and then each one had this card and it became kind of their in system the tarot cards are minorly psychically active so it became kind of their pass cards for mm. when they would get deliveries from the inquisitor mm. yeah that's really fascinating like so as you you mentioned that i mean it's so something that strikes me is right so this i think this this design challenge sort of it's asking it's asking you as a gm to come up with something that like you are you're requiring your players to sort of sit through um to get to the end of it right like you know like you're doing a tarot reading like they they can't stop you like this has to happen right whereas like a number of other things can happen in a campaign where they could be like well we're actually not going to fight that guy or like we're going to you know, do something that's going to totally surprise you right but like this is a a planned activity almost like within your planned activity of of playing a game so i guess i'm curious when you were doing the tarot reading did you actually like flip over did you have like a deck with you too like that you yep. actually flip so cards. Nice. in France, uh, the tarot deck is used as kind of almost as commonly as rummy deck. Oh, okay. Example. So yeah. most people will have it at home. So I've had it. There's kind of a French playing card okay. uh, game, which uses the same deck. So it's pretty easy. I just have those cards. So it was kind of not a big challenge. It's not like I had to order a 50, 50 euro deck from yeah. the internet or something. Now, I had a different thought when we rolled this topic. My mind went to the PCs participating in a performance as part of the adventure. I'm curious if that has ever been an element in either of your games. Mm -hmm. I am aware in my own gaming history, I have not run it, but I'm pretty sure there's a Pathfinder adventure or adventure path in which the players are the actors in a play. Hmm. And I think at least some of that play is printed out in the adventure for the players to read, you know, dramatically read and perform oh. in some sense. That's I haven't fun. done it, and I since I haven't really read it, I can't speak too much. I know there is uh, there are one or two Call of Cthulhu adventures that the play The King in Yellow it appears in, mm. and I'm pretty sure at least one of them involves some sort of um, participation by the players. Uh, you know, one of the challenges with having a performance, and, and both of you were kind of alluding to this, one of the challenges of having a performance is what if attending a play is an important part of the plot? How do you, the GM, communicate that experience without just reading a summary of what happens in the play? All right, you mm -hmm. sat there for three hours and here's a quick summary of what happened. Is there a better way to evoke the experience of a performance without handing everybody a three-hour script <laughs> for the play? Just like just like playing a tabletop game, you have to have buy-in from people to want to play that. I think you, you have to have some amount of buy-in for either the, the party listening to you do this or, or to participate in it. Um, and I think that's okay. I don't know if there is going to be a better system to do it other than asking them to go memorize their lines before before they come to the next session. I'm just thinking kind of different direction. But one thing I tried once was non-linear kind of chronology. So you know how Pulp Fiction, the okay. movie is just cut apart. I tried to do that once for Ooh. a session of L5R. So I started a session with them in jail being interrogated by the Imperial Magistrate. And I had them sometimes narrate how they got out of things. Yeah. Unfortunately, it completely fell apart because yeah. the opening fight, they were supposed to kill the bad guy, who was also a noble, but they failed. They got beaten <laughs> up by really bad luck. So I had to justify kind of how this could come back to them on the fly. They loved it because yeah, I was yeah. completely out of my death. My prep went right out the window. Yeah. So then they were captured and they were the dungeon of the bad guy and they had to, to escape. And then they had to narrate in, in character and kind of would switch between them explaining to the magistrate and them 
acting it kind of within the game and kind of doing the roles. Hmm. So it's kind of a weird mishmash of like the two storylines at the same time. Oh, that's ah, super fun. That is fascinating. Yeah. That makes me think, so uh, in a minute, maybe we can try to narrow this down into mm-hmm. something concrete that we can come up with. But so I ran, I've run a couple games of the Alien RPG by Free League. And last night was the, I, I ran a session of it. And it was a different experience in that you're more explicitly we are playing in the mode of that game that is explicitly trying to recreate the experience of like an alien movie and several of the players leaned quite heavily into that and were making decisions not because they made necessarily the most sense but because that's the sort of decisions you would expect to see people in a movie making Hmm. and it shifted the tone of the experience a little bit from just being a typical role-playing game and it was something a little bit closer to actually performing out performing a movie or performing mm-hmm. a story and it was a subtle change but it, it felt pretty big to me as the gm in the moment that like interesting we're not exactly role-playing anymore we're sort of uh improvising uh, a movie here so i don't <laughs> know have you guys had that experience or anything like that so I played I played in one of your alien one shots and I do you remember making decisions that I were was trying to make more cinematic than like what I'd want <laughs> you know like meta game right I knew this was all a terrible idea we should just you know get get to the ship and get out but don't like, right. don't lean in and put your face right next to the alien right yeah so there's some of that sort of stuff but yeah and I think there's there's some there's a lot of fun that can be had there again you have to you have to buy into the idea that like you are telling a story like a cinematic story which I I disagree with I, I think there's a lot of people that sort of they run their games as a default as a cinematic like there's a there's like an actual movie camera kind of following them around and i don't think that's necessarily the right way to run all games but um yeah but i mean i think with alien in particular i think you do have to if you want to evoke that feeling you need to make the bad decisions <laughs> the bad decisions yeah. that you would okay well hey why don't we try and take this topic and narrow it down to something concrete that we can produce. So mm-hmm. we even, we, we've got to create a scenario based around a performance. Mm-hmm. So why don't we decide, is this going to be a performance that, that the players take part in? Or is this is the performance something that you, the GM, are doing mm-hmm. and portraying to the characters? I think player involvement is yeah. definitely kind of preferable. Just keep people involved. Somehow have them kind of as the players use their player characters within the play and then possibly make some kind of skill roles mm-hmm. to kind of push the story forward. So whichever it could be, like they go to Fairyland and they have and the the party has to somehow put on a show to impress or show that they're playing into the story of the Forest King. Yeah. yeah. And then for example, they have to make a charm role, they have to make some kind of melee role to yeah. show that, you know, there's a big fight, etc. And have kind of this conscious kind of meta thinking, but kind of this deliberate kind of two level. You're playing somebody who's playing someone, mm. and then just if that can be mechanized in some way, that way the players don't have to tell the entire speech. Like you don't have to spend a three hour song for the king, <laughs> yeah. but just just make a just make a charm roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And based on that, it's either a good song or a bad song. Yeah, it's such, you. So you mentioned that I'd kind of forgotten. I ran a one shot where the party was a traveling performance troupe, which that was a really fun just conceit for how, how people got together, right? It's like, well, you're in a you know traveling group together. But they did have to do a performance for a local, like, you know, local nobility. 
And so that was like the one time in D and D that I've gotten people to like roll performance checks and like, you know, like yeah, you know, yeah. some of those things where it's just, you know, you don't really dig those out too often, but it was really fun. Cause it was open-ended. I was just like, you have to impress this, this guy. I think I ended up just using like a, it was like a clock, like a, a blades in the dark style clock, which is like, you got to get six impression points on this guy or like, right. Or he's going to behead you, whatever. Um, yeah. But I mean, offering it back to them, like you were saying, of like, here's, here's the results you're going for as a group. Like you tell me sort of how you're going to get there or like, yeah, let's, you know, set yourself up well to make this role, but you're still going to make it a role. And like, we're not exactly going to do, do the performance part. How did you, or how do you make the player challenge of creating a cool performance? Obviously it's going to boil down to a role, a performance mm-hmm. check. How do you make it more interesting than that for the players? If they know that at the end of all of this, they're just going to roll a d20 and add their performance skill. Maybe you don't have a check. You're like, maybe you don't have a roll at the end of it. I'm trying to think like, okay, so is it is it Hamlet, the Shakespeare play that has the play within the play? Like Hamlet? No, I think it's Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. Mm, there might be, knowing Shakespeare, it's probably a couple of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the one I'm thinking about, it's definitely a tragedy. And it's like, it's, it's very much the play is put on to sort of goad the king into or go the queen goad some nobility into sort of like yeah realizing <laughs> that it's all about them i'd like that as the setup for something where it's like there isn't necessarily a mechanic thing it's very much a storytelling beat if there's a way to do that exalted stunting tell us uh, tell us more about that yeah in the role-playing game exalted at least in second ed if you narrate well or give a good description to the action, not just I hit the orc with my axe, but yeah. you explain kind of detail a bit, you would get like bonuses to your role. Oh. So maybe based on the quality of the player's kind of improv thingy, you might give kind of, if it's the ND, like advantage or disadvantage or whatever else. Ooh. But that puts a lot of soft skill versus hard skill, which might be unfair on some people who might not feel comfortable yeah. kind of dropping a haiku. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> An improvised haiku. Maybe can we let's okay so let's take a second and maybe decide on like what kind of performance we're gonna go for. Um, none of us has mentioned singing, so I'm gonna guess that we're not gonna do a singing performance in this. Although I guess Andy, you let me know. I guess this would be your area. <laughs> it's funny. Recently, I'm in a uh, I've joined for the first time in many years a singing group, and we'll be performing a Handel's Messiah over Christmas. And so I've been having these uh, regular practices with the group. And I I mean, there's a lot that goes into performing a piece of music, a a simple skill role, as with a play or anything else, you know, a simple skill role, or even one or two skill roles doesn't quite capture the amount of effort and coordination that Mm -hmm. goes into a really effective performance of a piece. I'm no music expert here, but I'm game for incorporating music into this in some way. We have all been, I think, it's like kind of circling around the idea of a play because that mm-hmm. I s- suspect we feel that connection that a play has to the act of role playing to some extent. But mm-hmm. so, are the PCs in a situation? I I kind of liked the uh, Albans impress mm-hmm. the King of Fairyland idea. You know, can we play with that? Yeah, I mean, like, what if the setup is such that um, you can't you can't fight your way out, right? Like, you're you're being you're being asked or required in some way to put put on this performance, right? And then we, we can talk about like exactly what you want to get out of that in a second. But so is Fairyland Magical Woods style Fairyland? Or do we want to yeah make the setting, tweak the setting at all? I think Magical Woods, for okay. example, works. And essentially, the party has to reenact kind of a classical fairy tale. Yeah. Ooh. So they, the party could be, it doesn't matter if it's Jason and the Argonauts, or if it's something from the round table, yeah. they have to repeat a known story, possibly because the fairy king 
thinks he is one of the kings from that story. Oh, so okay. if it's Jason and the Minotaur, um, no, Theseus and the Minotaur? Mm-hmm. Theseus and the Minotaur. Right. His, his Theseus's father um, is being played by the fairy king, and the only way to get out is to fulfill the story, come back with the black sails, then the fairy king will have to throw himself off the cliff and then the party wins. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> that's so good. So they have to make a seduction role to convince the local princess to help them. Mm-hmm. They have a melee challenge, beating up the Minotaur, mm-hmm. and maybe something else, depending on the number of party members you mm-hmm. have. But they have to kind of follow the beats of the original story. And once they fulfill the story, then they get the, the prize. As I'm picturing it, right, like I'm picturing the setting as like, you have a bunch of fairy folk sitting on mushrooms, right, like in this amphitheater in the, in the woods somewhere, like maybe the maybe the amphitheater itself is like the like rib cage from like a giant deer that's that's died in the woods or something like that, right? Like, so it's very atmospheric like that. And so you have the fairy king sitting up like, yeah, up up on the, the largest mushroom watching this this play go through and like getting more and more hyped up and amped up as as it's like, yeah, progressing, <laughs> progressing through. Like, so then what are the players specifically doing? For this, I think to work, you need to ask, ask them to do some sort of actual performance, I think, right? So I think there there is the role. But I think for this to be like uh, the maximum amount of fun, I think you need to also ask them to deliver some lines or, you know, actually stand up and act something out a bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think I think certain type of player would really resonate with that. Other people would probably uh, probably wince. And uh... <laughs> yes, it's a, it's very cringe, as the kids say. But <laughs> the part that interests me is the planning out of the beats. Like, so maybe the PCs would. If they know the legend that they're trying to recreate, the PCs would know the basic uh, turns and course of the story that they need to reproduce. But I'm interested in the ability of a performance to subvert or to change the message of a piece. I probably won't be able to articulate this very well, but the way that um, that you can use the performance of one thing to deliver a specific message to the viewer is interesting to me. So I wonder if the players might, if their success might rest on both, can you capably perform the elements of this story? And can you do so in a way that delivers the message that you want to deliver to the king or to the mm-hmm. audience? If yeah. there's a difference between those two things. What if we define like a couple of potential outcomes? You have the the fairy king, and maybe the fairy king. Like so, maybe there there's like the the one hand. Like you could your your goal is to like infuriate the fairy king, or it could be to convince him to do something else, or it could be like to humble him, right? Like you have sort of these other options, like all these options in front of the players, and then from there, then they can decide like, okay, so, so should we tell a story that is like it's very clearly to him about him. So he like can see himself in that, you know, you tell a different story, you know, about his queen, right? Like, you know, like you kind of leave it maybe open to the players themselves, how to, how to figure that out. Um, like what kind of performance they want to put on for the effect that they want to get. Does that make sense? Or is that, do you think that maybe, is that too open-ended to give to a, a party? It depends on the players. I would say that's yeah. the big difference. Um, for some, they will love it. The, open, the more open it is, mm-hmm. the more they'll have space to tell whatever some people might find it paralyzing yeah that's a, that's a really good point let's then for this the sake of this let's pretend like this is the party that you're running this for needs those choices taken away from him so let's let's give him like one choice on this yeah then i would definitely say kind of name the fairy king after 
a main character from the story mm -hmm. that they're meant to play for him. So it doesn't matter if it's the, the Nibelungen lead, so then he'll be, he'll be the king who has set fire to his hall at the end of the story, mm -hmm. and then they have to reenact the slaying of the dragon at Siegfried or, or something, but they need to be told which story they have to play. Yeah. Then, of course, as players, they might be able to get some refreshers, kind of. They might know it, they might not know the story so well, mm -hmm. then you might give them a bit of help. Hmm. And then, kind of, they have to figure out. You tell them, kind of, one beat per player, I would say. Yeah. And then, kind of, that would kind of pace things roughly. Would you consider giving this to the players as sort of homework to do in between sessions, hmm. uh, instead of saying at the table, "Okay, everyone, put together this performance." Would you come in two weeks? Come with your plan for how you're going to uh, perform this, or is oh, that asking too much of players? I'd love that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would, as a player, I think I would hate that. As a GM, I would love it. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, okay, like, yeah, in two weeks, like, I will be, I will be playing the, um, you know, the, the fairy king. <laughs> like, you're going to walk in and give me this performance. Yeah. I mean, so, so Andy, what would you think? Like, so if you did give them the homework to go do it, like, what would you expect them to come back with? So I would expect them to have reviewed the story or the legend that they need to retell. And then I like giving them the editorial authority to choose which parts of the story they're going to focus their performance on. Because choosing what scenes, you know, in any legend that you're going to spend time on and which you're going to gloss over, I think, can dramatically shift the tone of the, uh, the story. So I think that would tell me a lot about what the players want to accomplish. And I think it's an opportunity for the players to be pretty clever if they want. Mm -hmm. So I would want them to come back with, oh yeah, what story beats are we going to do? Who is going to kind of be the, the pivotal PC for each of these story beats? And maybe let them make the case of what whatever game system we're using, what are the mechanics you're going to use to determine your success with this? So... Mm -hmm. Instead of having having 10 different performance checks, tell me why you're going to use your uh, make a strength check and a perception roll or something. You know, just be creative with the mechanics and, and maybe think beyond even just the skill system, but just about the game system as a whole. Hmm. What, what would be a fun way to, to determine the results of this? And then... And again, please, I'm just monologuing here. So step in if someone interrupted me, if I'm getting tedious. But as each scene goes on, you sort of keep a tally of, I, I kind of like the, um, there are some old game, older RPGs that had, I'm thinking of a, a parody RPG called Hackmaster, but I think there were some non-parody games that did this as well, where things like alignment were something you tracked your, you you tracked a character's alignment by tracking it around like basically a grid. I'm not sure if this is making sense, but you could calculate the drift of a character's alignment on some sort of a chart or a grid. And I kind of like the idea of the players and the GM working together to come up with what is the king thinking about this performance chart, you know? Oh. So it's not just a matter of like, uh, build up 10 six successful performance checks and the king does what you want but it's more a matter of each time you're rolling the dice you're pushing the king in a particular direction on kind of a chart um, and you're trying to get him into the place on that chart 
that has the results you want. You want him maybe to be angry, but you also maybe want him to feel guilt. Uh, yeah. and, uh, am I making any sense? I'm going to stop talking. No. and let you guys... No, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The thing is, how many axes do you track? Right, yeah. <laughs> you have, that, that's yeah. kind of the thing, because spectra of human emotion, you'd have a very, very big and complicated multidimensional. Yeah. But if you say, for example, here are four things, four mm-hmm. basic emotions, and you want to fill, and you have to fill two of those bars. Mm. Um, the king will kind of be suitably impressed. Yeah, doesn't matter which one. You can make him sad, happy, uh, full of love, or full of rage. Doesn't matter. But you have to fill him with something. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah. So then I think it. So then I think as you as a GM need to be able to sort of roll with sort of what what ends up happening from that performance. Mm-hmm. But too, that's totally fine, right? Like, so if you get to the end of that and the the king like never wants you to leave because he loves you so much like that's a problem if the king wants to kill you so you can never leave like that's a problem right like you know so there's there's all sorts of ways that could end up i mean the worst possible outcome would be like the king gets so bored that he leaves leaves the performance but even that you could probably work with <laughs> yeah too. okay so i like that a lot so andy you're proposing some sort of grid or sliders or whatever right like that you're, you're sort of filling up as you're going through this but you're also proposing that we you kind of send off the players to come up with what they want to do as, as homework which I like that too. I think the GM needs to set like, here's what the the fairy tale is, right? Like, here's the thing that you're you're gonna do, and then you know, come back, you know, come back either next um, session or come back after I've like used the bathroom and gotten a snack, <laughs> right? Like, whatever that time frame is, like, it's sort of it's your decision. And if the GM wants to sit in and listen to it, they can, <laughs> they can from there. So then, is the performance? Is it? It's a play. Would you reward extra bonus points if someone's like, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to actually take a run at writing a haiku for for my portion of it," or you know, like, or pull out a guitar or something like that and, and play? If someone did a good job, absolutely. I would yeah. say, don't even roll. Yeah, yeah. You just dropped a massive haiku. Yeah, just go for it. You don't need to roll. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't want to trust yourself, if you're just kind of paralyzed, kind of, uh, then just make me, you know. Charisma plus poetry roll. Oh, I like that. Give them a, a very obvious mechanical advantage for engaging in the performance aspect of it, but then also give someone an out if they're like, I don't, I don't want to improvise right now. I can't imagine not rolling with it if a player, you know, pulled out a guitar at the table and started yes. playing. I mean, you you just have to reward that level of engagement. So. Yes. You have to reward it and also tell them this is the one time this is happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, I think we should we should wrap it up um, around here. Do we have any sort of final thoughts on this? Any any like parting shots or like a totally different direction you take it before we say goodbye? I'd say it depends on the yeah. Going back to it, it depends on the party. Some yeah. of the groups I've been in, there was really active kind of between sessions. We had an IRC chat, oh, yeah. and then there was lots of stuff going on there. Some groups, that's it. You see them once a week, and there's no contact or makes no contact in between, and that's mm-hmm. that. So. Prep time really will depend on the, the group. So I guess this is something you, you as a GM need to have a feeling for. Mm-hmm. It feels like something you might want to pitch as sort of a special or optional game session almost. Like, hey, mm-hmm. we're going to do something kind of cool and interesting for this next session. If this is not something you want to do, just skip it and we'll see you in two weeks or whatever. Yeah. Um, to the extent there is any sort of real life performance going on, by the players if they're going to be pulling out their guitars or, or pulling out haiku i think you know it probably would pay off to make the actual physical environment you're all in really conducive to that so make you know uh, make it a party uh you know make it 
my inclination would be to make this a special event and then kind of put in some extra work to making it more of a, a party mm-hmm. performance than a uh, a regular game night. Yeah, your your D night has become an open mic night. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> That's good. All right, well, this is a good conversation. Um, I don't know if we came up with like a here's the exact scenario to run, but I think there's a lot of like really interesting thoughts in there. Like, I kind of want to maybe start a campaign with this is what I'm thinking about. Like that could be a, a really fun way uh, to k- like kick things off is yeah. You have been transported to the, the fairy, the, the fairy woods and need to impress this, this fairy King. I mean, that could really set the tone for the rest of the campaign in a fun yeah. way. But Andy, do you have another thought? Yeah, I just had one straight thought. Okay. It, yeah. it was something I was talking to my teenager about a while ago. There is a story in the old Testament that illustrates like the power of a performance to communicate something that like a more direct spoken conversation wouldn't and i don't know if you guys are familiar with the story of uh, david and bathsheba mm-hmm. it's he's a king who uh he wanted the wife of uh, one of his soldiers so he had the soldier killed basically and then he took the wife and mm-hmm. then a prophet comes to him and instead of saying uh, a prophet comes to kind of to convict him or to render judgment on him but instead of saying look what you did you're a bad person and this is going to be the punishment he recites it. He tells a story. Of, he, he tells a parable. It's a parable about a, a rich person stealing something from a poor person. And, you know, the par- it's extremely obvious what the parallels are. <laughs> yes. But the, the way it plays out is the king is like, you know, well, this is outrageous. Uh, you know, that person should be killed. And then there's the and then the prophet <laughs> drops the line of like, well, you are the you're the person. And, yeah. y- you know, you couldn't get that a dramatic delivery if you were just telling somebody or to put it in our fantasy context if you want something from that fairy king how much more powerful is it to deliver your request or something through the performance than just to say oh king mm-hmm. please give us this right yeah we haven't talked too much about like why the players are performing for the king maybe that's something you could involve them in you know what do you want from the king and why is your performance going to how are you going to make your performance hit 10 times harder than just submitting your request to him in writing? You have to work into the story to propel the, the campaign, the saga forward. So what do they need? I don't know. Maybe the fairy king has a magic sword. Maybe he knows the weakness of the dragon they mm-hmm. want to slay. That's going to be saga to saga. But a fairy king will always have something shiny. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's good. Okay, well, Chris, will you uh, wrap us up here? Yeah, well, uh, this has been really great. Alden, thank you so much for coming on. Um, yeah, this was super fun and a really good conversation. I loved hearing a little bit about your, your gaming history and what you're up to. Well, um, Roll for Topic is part of the Roll for It Media Podcasting Network. Our sister um, podcast is the Splat Book with John Corey and Kyle Latino. Um, they're two lovely people. Um, the last episode that I listened to with them, um, they let's see, Kyle was not on that week. He was out, but they had Tim Saucer on to talk about how to run games for kids. Um, it was a really good um, oh, conversation wonderful. and topic. Yeah, I know that's something that Andy and I have like sort of talked about a little bit. And my kids are starting to get to the age where I can actually think about that. Alban, I think you got a couple of years before <laughs> before that will be a concern. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was really good. Yeah, definitely go check them out at thesplatbook.com. Um, yeah, and I, again, thank you, Alban, for coming on. Um, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. Alban, you want to say your name? Say <laughs> I've also been all done. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Well, remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. Bye.